0: Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland, and together, alongside my nursing students, I bring together my friends and colleagues in an effort to answer the questions, provide mentorship, and oftentimes help other professional nurses along the way. Hope you enjoy these episodes. Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Sunderland. Today, I am joined with my friend and colleague, Elena Lerondo. Uh, She is from, where are you from? In New York again? Troy, Troy. New York. That's right. For some reason, I I, I heard Troy, but I thought that maybe you, that was the closest town or something. Anyway, um, she is actually a dialysis nurse, but has an interesting history that I would love to talk about on today's episode, including at first becoming an EMT And then teaching classes and also being a medic and also being a 911 dispatcher. So I'm curious to begin, what made you decide to become an EMT? I
1: actually had a passion for it when I was about 17 years old. I joined the fire department in my local town and they had put, they decided that I wanted to do it and I was starting classes. I actually took the EMT state exam on my 18th birthday, because you have to be 18 to be an EMT. So I took that on my birthday. And then the next day I started classes. I went to SUNY Oneonta for speech communication. And while I was there, I joined the Oneonta State Emergency Squad, which was fairly new there. It had just started. Um, I wound up in my junior and senior year. I, was, I became chief of the squad. And we Park One. And with that, I was also able to start teaching classes. I actually taught the first class, the first EMT class at SUNY Oneana. And we started a mass casualty program there. I got our first vehicle there. So I was a big integral part in starting. Now, I didn't start the program, but getting it to where it is today.
0: That's really amazing. And it's also amazing that you were a volunteer fire, fire person um, at your local firehouse because yes. i don't hear many females becoming a fireman or even going out there and volunteering with their um local fire company i've only i've only seen like a couple like a handful on the like tiktok that exists out there but really <laughs> haven't I feel like it exists but it's like but i always i always meet like the girlfriends of, of the firemen you know i yeah. never meet like actual female firefighters so that's really cool to hear that you were that that was like your first like linkedin with being an emt and i'm sure like see people in in, in like tr- like trapped somewhere and you're kind of like well, what can, else can i offer them sounds like a really great you know niche for you to go into and then for you to start you know those classes and really like program where it needs to be is really amazing too what is mass casualty like for those that don't know from being an, um an outside of the hospital person working as an emp
1: uh it's, it can be very chaotic. I mean, you're going to have situations where most of the time it's trauma related accidents, things like that. <clears throat> it's, uh, the same as in, your, in the hospital though, it's basically a lot of assessing like who's going to go first. Uh, do we need life flight or med flight or whatever helicopter services to come out? How many ambulances we're going to need? How many, um, ALS ambulances you're going to need. If you need paramedics, if you're just an EMT squad, um, But yeah, assessing is a big, big part of that. As you would do in the hospital, you assess patients as you come in to to determine what their needs are, if they need ICU, if they need the step down unit, if they need a ventilator, CPAP, whatever they need.
0: That's really cool. I know like for a hospital, we do like mass casualty training um, where I've been a part of it only like a a small amount of time because it's usually reserved for our emergency nurses And I think we have like a mass casualty team of of people that like it gets activated, like this is what we do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think for hospitals though, where it might be different as students kind of hear this, for hospitals, it might be a, a little bit more controlled in terms of it's an actual building, there's OR suites, there's ventilators to use, there's drugs, there's a pharmacy. Whereas if you're an EMT, a medic, paramedic, going out to these mass casualty situation. You don't know what
1: you're going into.
0: Yeah, like I, I can only imagine what you what you have to prepare for, you know, like how do you effectively budget, quote unquote budget, um, to have people to meet the demand of a, of a mass casualty incident in a place like Troy, New York, which I think is pretty rural, correct?
1: Uh, well, Troy is a small city. Um, I did it out in the town of Nassau, which is very, very country. Okay. Um, but... Well, I'll give an example. The first, my first major mass casualty incident, uh, my EMT card was still wet. <laughs> like I just got it. Um, we had a group of nurses from the local hospital. They were on their way out to go watch, um, a show out in the neighboring town. Well, not neighboring down the road from us. Yeah. And they wound up, uh, a tractor trailer, a gas tanker, um, uh, jackknife, and they ran into it and they blew up. Wow. So we had six nurses that were on fire all over and you had to determine which ones were receivable and which ones were not. And you had the driver of the truck that you're trying to get out because now his truck's on fire and we're trying to make sure that nobody else comes up around the corner because now they'll be on fire and then just evacuating the area around because of the of the fumes.
0: Yeah, I and that sounds that sounds crazy. I also assume that it's probably a large communication piece with the local police yes. and the local fire companies and everything too to really say like hey, like we have this problem and it's of great amount.
1: Mm-hmm. This, That goes back to the whole nine one one dispatch center. Like you relay to them, and they have the communication to go wherever they need to go, and dispatch whoever they need to to get to our location.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So so thankful for for those services, goodness. So (laughs) then you so then you were also a medic. What is the difference between a medic and a paramedic for students that are listening? Um,
1: a med a difference between a medic and a paramedic is a. or 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 an EMT Um, and a medic because we have when I started with there was three different phases there was an EMT an EMT medic and an EMT paramedic the difference was from the difference basically from an EMT to any kind of medic is your drug box you can intubate you can give certain drugs the difference between a medic and a paramedic are the type of drugs you can give there's like an additional six or seven drugs that you can give as a paramedic that you couldn't as a medic
0: okay that's really good to know because I, I I had my EMT um certification forever ago. I did it to basically solve a loan that I had received from, from college to help get it reimbursed, but mm-hmm. I never actually ran. And I and I knew people that would talk a lot about eventually becoming a paramedic mm-hmm. while having their EMT, but I never really understood what that meant. And how could you like being what right. I think I was like 21 years old, I had mm-hmm. no clue what healthcare really really meant in terms of taking care of people, much less right. being an EMT, you know, how, how could you know that stuff, you know?
1: Yep, it is. It's, but once you're like in that field, you'll get a better, a clearer picture of what to do, because I mean, we did, like we would do a call where somebody would, we would intercept with an ambulance coming in that needed ALS because they had somebody having a heart attack or a cardiac arrest or a stroke that you can start giving medications that they need before they even get to the hospital. But wow. we also did like interfacility transports from like a lower need hospital to a higher need hospital where we could be running six, seven pumps at a time as we're going from hospital to hospital too.
0: That's insane. Um, like I do that sometimes in my ICU. I have, and I've, I've seen it a handful of times with patients being brought in, but when you think about um, being in that situation, and even if, if you were decided to become like a nurse, um, like a flight nurse, you know, and and fly out with EMTs and paramedics to retrieve patients. You have to know so many different drugs and be able to run every single one of those seamlessly and know kind of like you know have a good a good indication of what your best guess might be as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And give those drugs appropriately and also be able to identify other issues that are going to happen with your patient because it's still kind of like that like guessing game until you get to the hospital. And right. get like scans and labs and all that stuff that when you're not in the field you just can't do.
1: Yeah, your assessment game has to be spot on because you could kill somebody if you give them the wrong stuff.
0: Yeah, and I assume that's why it's so, um, quote unquote, addicting to be within the EMT field as an EMT provider, paramedic provider. I know tons of people that are that are that are those individuals for their careers. Mm probably want to learn so much and be the expert at what they see out there in the field
1: right yeah That's and cool. then people do get burnt out
0: too <laughs> yeah I could I, I could totally imagine that too I mean especially you know if you don't have a good supportive um EMT like group of, group of people mm-hmm. but also you know if if you're just a sole EMT provider probably out there Perhaps not associated with a hospital. I can imagine that's way different. Even if you're associated with a hospital and EMT an provider too, so maybe different situations like that. And even seeing really horrible situations time after time must be. Yep, and you
1: know, I think paramedic.
0: that's probably why my husband
1: and I get along so well because he's a paramedic.
0: <laughs> so, so we great. can we can vent to <laughs> each other. Me too. Yeah, that's so great that you're able to support each other like that too. I find that really important. My yeah. Husband and I, the whole ask how work's going. I work Monday, then I'm just like, but. <laughs> he branches, so he like you know he just stays you know far away from the medical field. But I kind of educate him on things that he should pay attention to. But as far as work goes, I just kind of leave it there, you know. Which is which is That's nice for me. No, but it's good
1: because there's days that people have asked me, "How do you sleep at night?" Well, right. you know what? I've developed a very good. I'm leaving work, and it stays at work, so, such as, like, you leave home at home. Yes, exactly. So you, don't I, I don't that, know. you don't want to bring your bad mood because you and your husband had a fight before you came to work. You don't want to bring right. that with you because you have patients to take care
0: of. Right, correct. I don't know how, I don't know if I've talked about that on this podcast before. I probably have in like different ways, but I find it, and I tell my students this all the time, that. You're gonna you're gonna have to deal with a lot of new learning when you become a nurse, and your learning curve. If you take ANCLACs, then your learning curve goes up even more once you step into the real world and become like that person that you're. You are the person that's fully responsible for that patient. You don't have your instructor behind you, you don't have your preceptor next to you. Like you have like this is you, and there's a lot of complex emotions and feelings and situations that you go through and you're going to have this like eternal battle with. And if you don't learn to just leave it be. And I even sometimes tell my students, you know, to not care. And I say that with the most amount of love I can. Mm-hmm. If you care too much and if you're empathetic too much to the situation, it's going to, it's going to eat you alive. Yep. You have to be able to just say, I'm done with this. Okay. Someone else can, can take care of this. I'm going to go home now and and not think about this anymore. Yeah.
1: Well, it will totally,
0: totally eat you. Yeah.
1: And what I tell my, when I'm teaching my new employee, my new coworkers that are coming on, my new nurses that I'm, that come, is if you don't learn something every
0: day, you're doing the day wrong. That's right. That's correct. If you, I just heard this. So I got into this (laughs) podcast today, actually, it's with Ethan Soupley, who, is an actor mm-hmm. and um it's called "Some with glutton um, um american glutton anyway he lost a ton of weight he lost like 400 pounds but there was this there was this episode on with this guy that does mindset training and his whole like talk was about if you can't beat your clone from yesterday by one one thousandth of a percentage you're doing something wrong. If you can't improve or learn something or do something new or, or improve yourself or any one thing, you're doing something wrong. You, you need to change that right away. Yep. 100% agree. What are some of the craziest stories that you've experienced as an EMT, though?
1: I've had some crazy ones. <laughs> I'll, just give, I'll just give you the best ones is when delivering babies.
0: And I think you told me before that you delivered twins. Yes. That that uh I, I don't know that I don't know that I could ever handle that, um, primarily because I'm not an OBGYN <laughs> nurse and that would scare the living daylights out of me. Because the most important thing that you and I discussed before was that you're not only treating baby, you're treating baby and mom mm-hmm. at the moment. And so to really sit back and think, I have three patients now. That is just me. <laughs> <you> <laughs> Sitting in, in the back. You out there and you're <laughs> like, cool. How you doing, guys? On, mom. I need some boo. <laughs> mom, you're doing great. I need you to handle these things right now. I'm gonna drive. We're gonna be great. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> was this was this in like a more like like rural r- rural um area as well? Were were you able to like I was get over minutes away from the nearest hospital? It was. what? I'm sorry. It was like forty five minutes away. Hospital wow. I
1: just so, yeah. and started driving and we had uh, another rig coming with another set of hands to help me and they were they were a half hour away and it didn't up with me <laughs> Wow
0: <laughs> man, that must be like just nuts i I, I know be a patients sometimes like in our unit that are pregnant. unfortunately, sometimes strokes happen while you're pregnant. But when that happens, we pull in like our friendly people from our babies and moms floor, which is what I affectionately call it, uh, who come down and, and monitor baby if, if they need to. Um, and then let us know, like they like, kind of like, if we see this, then this will happen. But they kind of stay on top of it more so than me need to, need to let them know, hey, I think something's wrong. This, I really don't know. I'm not like expert in that. That's what they do. So I can only imagine like being being by yourself, 45 minutes away from the nearest hospital. Uh, mom is like, yeah, I think I'm in labor probably. <laughs> I'll pop two kids. <laughs> yeah. I just think
1: I was just thankful well, everything went smooth.
0: Yeah. There, know,
1: nothing, there was nothing going else happening.
0: That's crazy. So then you decided to change careers. What is a CCHT?
1: A certified Product chemodialysis technician. Oh, and what do you do with that? Um you are a essentially a dialysis technician. So when you get hired from a dialysis company, you are a patient care technician and you go through 12 weeks of training Mm -hmm. and then an additional 12 weeks of apprenticeship so you're not on your own. So it literally takes you six months before you can be on your own in in a clinic and have your own set of patients and Take care of them yourself. And then before your 18-month anniversary day, you have to take a national board exam to become certified to be able to do that.
0: Now, do you think six months, because that sounds phenomenal for somebody to start in a, new, in a new role that may not have prior experience of being a health technician of any of any sort. Do you think six months is enough time?
1: because no, there's it's you're still learning I, there's the I work with there's many new employees that they still come to me and ask for advice um, good. yeah what can I do what's the best situation so you're constantly I have to learn myself in order to keep up with the things that are going on in today's world to be able to teach them and to make sure that all of our patients are safe
0: yeah That's really good to hear, because I know some people, some of my students have looked at jobs, and for instance, in in the OR, it's a six-month orientation of just learning different cases and different workloads and different teams and all that stuff, and they kind of look at it sometimes before asking questions of, that seems like a really long period of time for me to to be on orientation, like, shouldn't I have a shorter orientation or whatever? And in my opinion, no, because if, if they're offering you, you know, six months of, Pretty much one on one time learning your new role, helping you get acclimated to your new job. You have the rest of your life to, to learn everything that you need to learn as a nurse or try to anyway. And I really find that you know, you're asking questions as a new nurse, even during that preceptorship and your new GN, you're going to have a better time hailing it down the road. So I'm really happy that that's a good positive experience for like somebody going into a CCHT prior right. to becoming either a nurse or just, you know, focusing on being a tech for the, for the rest of their career or whatever they might do, you know?
1: Yep. Yep. No, I mean, there's so much to learn. It's, breaking down the machine, like putting a machine together, making sure all the air is out of the machine. There's just so much of just the machine that's involved. And then you have the machine and a patient. You have to learn to cannulate them. They have special, um, they're called fistulas or grafts that we have to stick. And there's special needles. And like, you just have to, there's just so many steps to learn before you can
0: even think you might know what you're doing yeah yeah I, I can only imagine i don't see many so our analysis people there we have a we have a, a special unit and then we also have um techs or text nurses that come up to do dialysis for the patients mm. and i can only imagine because we still have those big machines yeah um, that come, the
1: same ones they're it's our company makes them for everyone
0: oh okay um well that's neat to know <laughs> um so they they come rolling by and they roll by with like the machine and like this gigantic cart and i can only just imagine like it looks easy once it's set up right because you're like oh they just plug it in and there you go from the outsider's perspective but the insider's perspective i'm sure is like there's so many little steps as you as you just said and have because as a tech i'm sure you have to assess the patient too right yes so there's a when the patient walks in the door
1: the technician goes over and they have to get weighed every treatment to see how much fluid they had gained from the treatment before. Mm-hmm. And then they bring them back to the their chair, their assigned chair that they have. And it's blood pressures, it's pulses, it, they can assess for edema. Um, they have to listen to their facial or their graft to make sure that it's patent, make sure there's no you know possible stenosis that you can hear because that's pretty cool to hear is hearing a stenosis in somebody's access, and then you know, hey, I have to bring this to the nurse who then has to set them up for a fistulogram to go and have angioplasty. Um, And then they actually, they're the ones that stick, the patients, and then in New York, they have to call for a nurse to give them their heparin. There's three states that require nurses to give the heparin and do catheter care. Um, New York is one of, is one of the three that does not allow a technician to do that but if they want to go work in vermont they can do everything and basically the nurse does the fluid assessment they'll listen to the heart and the lungs and make sure that everything else is
0: okay that's cool and can you just explain to people listening what is the importance of heparin during dialysis um heparin is very important during dialysis it it
1: uh thins the blood enough to get through all the fibers. So each dialyzer has a millions of fibers in it to act as the kidney, to eliminate the um, ions like the um, potassium, the calcium, and uh, phosphorus. They remove it all from the body. Um, So if the blood isn't thin enough, it won't go through the fibers and there's a chance of clotting it off. And if you clot a system off, then you lose about 300 to 400 mLs of blood. And dialysis patients are often anemic as it is. So by losing another 500 mLs, you just dropped their hemoglobin down another 0.2 or 0.3, which if they had a 8.2, now they're down to 7.9 and they need a blood transfusion, which is what we try to not have. Them have to go
0: through. I can imagine that's not beneficial to the patient. So if that does happen, do you have to move the patient to a higher level of care? Can you treat them with the transfusion where you are?
1: No, we can't. We used to, uh, probably fifteen or so years ago, we used to be able to transfuse on the floor, but they don't allow it anymore. Um, we have to set them up outpatient. It's just outpatient that we have them go to the hospital and get transfused, and then they leave. That's cool. That's nice to hear.
0: So, then you decided to start nursing school. Yes. Um, which is probably one of the hardest decisions people make in their life, I think. Anyway, to decide, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. And I say that because nursing school is not easy, and it takes a it takes a lot of focus and takes a lot of learning and time and all that stuff. So, what was your what was your main drive to go to nursing school?
1: Um. Well. Being a paramedic, and you can ask other paramedics too, they will tell you I am never gonna become a nurse. <laughs> and I was one of those people. Uh, I said it and said it and said it, but once I became a dialysis technician and I saw what the nurses were doing, and I always said to my, always deep in my heart, I was like, I can, I can do more, I wanna do more. There's more than I can, there's more that I can do to help this person achieve their goal and make their dialysis better, but I can't do it until I become a nurse. And it was about two years into it. I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going to be, I need to help these people. I can't awesome. just going around
0: sticking people. letting yeah.
1: everybody else do the
0: work. Right. I, I, I want to know what's going on a little bit deeper as well. I'm sure that wh- whatever the patient has going on with them makes more sense, sort of, right. as it works. You a deeper level yes. of fizz. Understand why at a deeper level we, we give heparin. You know, say why electrolytes are so important in people. That was one of my biggest struggles in nursing school. Was like electrolytes. <sighs> I get the great. You know, that
1: was my favorite part. But I think it was because of dialysis. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> right. You're
0: like, oh, I know this stuff already. It's fine. Whereas for me, I'm like, no, I don't want to know I didn't do things. Like, I think we came up with like these acronyms. Like Magic Pot was one of them, and it was like, it was like magnesium and potassium are are like intracellular ones. Yep. magic pot right and then the other ones are just extracellular and I was like oh thank you thank you someone who made those uh, <laughs> that was not my favorite thing that and cardiac for some reason gave me such anxiety learning about it in school that I remember like just being so stressed out one semester about cardiac and I was like I don't know how I'm going to remember preload and afterload <laughs> and like, <laughs> and, like Inotropes and all these other things. I just I didn't fathom how I could learn that, and that's probably why I'm not a cardiac nurse. But I but I do appreciate cardiac in IC care. do get you know, don't don't mistake that with me. But but yeah, I I, I could see how that's a lot easier in dialysis, and that probably was your favorite thing. You're like oh, I'm gonna ace this in nursing school. What yep. <laughs> like test they got an A on. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say, you're probably somebody's best friend that like <laughs> they were like. So, do you, know, do you know this? And you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to feel a fistula one day? I got that for you. And that you do that was advanced learning. it <laughs> has got me so much fun. <laughs> yeah. so did, did you go to an associate's degree
1: program, a diploma program? I did. I went through an associate's program. Oh. I hopefully will graduate with my BSN uh, in May.
0: That's so exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Do you think that it's worthwhile to get your bachelor's, by the way? Do I think what? Do you think that it's worthwhile to get your BSN?
1: now? Nowadays, yes. I mean, in our state, it's mandated. You need to get it within a certain amount of years. Um, they just passed that law, I want to say, four years ago, um, maybe three years ago, because I wasn't part of it. Um, but... It gives you a lot of, so as you're going through your bachelor's, whether you do a part-time or full-time, it's still gonna take you another two to three years to finish. Um, In that time you're gaining experience as a floor nurse or whatever whatever nursing you have taken on, the bachelor's nursing will give you your leadership aspect because now after you've been a nurse for three or four years and you've now graduated with your BSN, you're almost, you now. you're going to have a wave of younger nurses that are coming in that you need to learn, you need to know how to lead them in the right direction and give them the opportunity that you were given when you were a new
0: nurse. That is such a really good perspective on that. I have not heard one person talk about the leadership aspect of a bachelor's degree above an associate's or diploma as that, you know, as what you're going to do. I think that's, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to like tell my students that all the time because I, because I struggle sometimes, you know, because Pennsylvania the hospitals will help you get your BSN if they have a program, right? We have like goal of like what, what the future of nursing is by 2020 and getting your bachelor's degree and all that stuff. But to have purpose behind getting your bachelor's and what that means, I think that's the biggest, the biggest driver of why somebody should get their bachelor's is that leadership role, and helping new nurses become better nurses when they first step into their career. I don't think that we do all, enough of that in terms of um, nursing. I don't think that people at least from 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 my standpoint, perhaps want to stay at the bedside for that long. Um, I don't know that people want to be a career bedside nurse, you know um, I do think people perhaps want to be in an outpatient world for their career. I, I can see that being, being nice, but sometimes it gets tricky. But, um, but I love that. I'm, I'm going like, to tell my students that in the baccalaureate degree program that you're getting so, much, so many more skills in terms of leadership, in terms of knowledge base, in terms of you know, doing other things that you may not think is important, but really does make a difference mm-hmm. in the future of, of other nurses. And even nurses that have more years experience but perhaps don't have the same type of knowledge base that you have. Right. That's really cool. And then you're looking to get your masters in nursing yes. soon,
1: right? Yes. I actually found ah, uh, I have there's a couple of places they have um you can get your masters in nursing leadership. And uh, that's that's kind of the role with our company we are leaders. Like right now, my role is I'm a team leader. So that means the other three or four people that I'm working with that day, yes, I'm in charge of, but I'm not technically called charge nurse. I am the team leader. So it's just a matter of, hey, I need you to go do this. Hey, you don't forget about this. A person over here, hey, this this person is supposed to go in this chair, but this chair over here is already empty. So why don't we take their stuff and move it here? So that's, that's also different between... Um, hospital-based dialysis and outpatient dialysis. Okay. Uh, hospital-based dialysis, you're going to have, um, like you said, you, you have a nurse brings up a machine or you do have a unit. Our, our unit in the, our hospitals are like four or five chairs. Yes. I work in a unit with 12 chairs. Okay. We have three shifts or I'm sorry, two shifts of 12 chairs. So we have 20 people that come into dialysis every single day. So we're open. We get here at five o'clock in the morning, and our last patient comes off at five o'clock at night, and we're here cleaning till six thirty.
0: Oh wow! So it's
1: and the unit that I transferred from, we actually had thirty four chairs. Oh wow! Four, and it was three shifts. Wow, that's so a lot of chairs. It is. It is. It was a very big unit. It was very intense. Um, you're constantly running. And it, I was going through a pair of sneakers every two or three months. Wow. Like I was averaging, you know, twenty eight, thirty thousand 30,000
0: steps a day. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of steps. Yes. And then so I, I went to the gym got, afterwards. Right? <laughs> so, 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 so this, the, the company that, that you work for now, they have different units is what I'm assuming from what you just told me. Yeah. So, so then where did you start after your bachelor's degree? Or I'm sorry. After your nursing degree, what what kind of unit did you start out at?
1: I stayed in the unit where that I started at. It was a respiratory unit. Okay. I stayed there up until uh, December. December is when I transferred to the unit that I'm at now, and it works out better for me. It's literally a five minute drive, six minutes, yeah. If I hit a red light. (laughs) If I hit a red light. (laughs) So it works out much better for me. It's smaller. Um, The clientele is different also. We're more of like a rural area.
0: Yeah, that's that's really neat. And I can imagine that 34 chair unit being somewhat similar to my 32 bed unit, but just kind of chairs instead of beds. Yep, yep, that's exactly what it is. Because you have like probably monitors still, yeah, in a dialysis space. Do Do you put them on monitors? No. Okay. Nope.
1: It's strictly if they need a monitor and they need they need more care than we can give. We don't. Okay. We don't okay. even. We have the drugs we have on on our unit or in my in my clinic. We have heparin. We have two forms of vitamin D. We have venifer, And we have Sensapar.
0: And if they need it, then go. <laughs> If they need it, Banco. Fabulous. Oh, you got an infection? Oh, here's some Banco. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like one of our four choices of drugs today, sir or (laughs) ma'am? I would would like the Banco, please. Thank you. (laughs) Antibiotic. There you go. That's really cool. So, so if you could, um, what is a day in your life like as a nurse on your unit? Like, what what happens, like just from start to shift end to end of shift? I know you just talked about how you close the place by like mm-hmm. cleaning everything, which is which is kind of similar to being a COVID nurse. Believe it or not, we you clean like the whole entire unit about three times a day. Oh, I bet. But, but what's your what's your daily life like in your um, unit? We
1: get to our unit at five o'clock in the morning, and there's usually two, sometimes three of us, and we have to prime all all twelve chairs, meaning We have to put the dialyzer up, the tubing up, get all the air out of it, get all the chairs ready, put their right packs out, figure out what size needles they use or if they're a catheter and get them all ready. And also we have to do, um, we have a very large, the water room is a very significant part of our job because we have to use, we call it reverse osmosis water. It's the most purified form of water that you can ever have. So that needs to go through disinfecting. We need to make sure that we have also have carbon tanks to make sure that there's no chlorine and chloramines in in the water. All the filtering that has to go through all the checks that we have to do for that. Um, We then have to check and make sure there is no chlorine and chloramines in the water. And then we open the door at six in the morning with all 12 chairs ready to go. Each person has a different time. So we might have like two or three people their on time is 620 so we bring them in at six stylizer by 620 and then we'll have another three people that come in at 640 and another people that come in seven so it's very staggered and then when those 620 people come off you have to once they weigh themselves and get out the door you have to then set the machine up for the next person while you're still taking care of, we um they're broken down into four we call them pods they're everybody has a four patient pod and we have a floating nurse uh, or the team lead, as I said before. Um, so everybody's in charge of those and they're flipping the chairs and bringing in the new people. That's clean. You know, we have to clean everything with bleach, the chair, the machine, we throw all the tubing and stuff away and then making sure you have time to get your next set of patients in. And then quite it's pretty. It can be. It can be intense because you'll be like, oh, like this between this person and this person. But now you have to. Hopefully, they're still not going to bleed to death after you pull their needle because they're. They might have a stenosis and all the blood is rushing out of their arm that's been pushed up, pushing, pushing in there, and they're going to bleed all over the place. And then now you're running late for this patient, and now this patient's coming off. So now you're really running late for this other patient, and. It's just, it's a very, you need very good time management skills. Yeah, I would say. (laughs) say Six months to train in order to get there because you start out with a patient and then after a month you get two patients and after a month you get three patients. Wow. Just, it's time management is.
0: Yeah. And that sounds busy. Like, so if I'm working on an intermediate care part of my unit, we can get three patients, but it's not like three patients, well, hear me out here it's not like three patients like like in your unit right so you have you have appointment times you get them in you get them needle in all that stuff clean the machines and then they roll out mm-hmm. um, whereas patients in a unit a hospital unit you know you could have like a complete change of of patients three times a day which can take a lot to get your time management skills down pat mm-hmm. so that's really cool for those similarities for people hearing this at even if even if you are working in a in an out, outpatient world analysis unit, it's still as busy, and sometimes could be busier because you don't have a lot of resources for assistance for whatever may happen. You know, um, the other interesting part that I just want to ask is why do you have to use reverse osmosis water? Like, why do you want to use the most purest water for for patients?
1: You don't want any. When the city water comes in, it goes through all of this, um, the filtering to then make the RO water. It's so important that you have purified water because you don't, if the water is making the dialysate. You need RO water, you need acid, and you need bicarbonate to come in to make the dialysate so that you can get the diffusion of the molecules out of the bloodstream. To go there. So if you have any impurities in that water, it could skew the dialysate that is needed
0: to for the
1: diffusion to happen.
0: That's really neat. We we have similar um not similar things. So we don't use the purest water for our patients. We're not putting anything in our patients on my unit, right? However, when I see a chemo patient for, for a brain tumor, we have to use bicarbonate, which helps the kidneys. So there's lots of really cool similarities there between needing the purest things so you make your own dialysate from all these molecules to having that ready and available to you kind of like in a different way for someone that needs basically like their kidneys to be this machine of cleansing things out and making sure that when you receive things like chemo, it doesn't damage your kidneys. You know, that's really cool. Um, and it sounds like with the size you have, that's why the, like the team aspect of perhaps nursing and patient care comes in more valuable as opposed to a charge nurse role, because there's so many different variables, I'm sure, and roles that people have to play with any given time.
1: Yep. Yeah, we really do have to be working as a team, especially if you do have that team leader, and you see that... Some having a hard time in their pod you can go and help them and either prime their other machine and or if somebody else is over here is having a problem and you need to get somebody in but they're tied up you can go bring that patient in it's teamwork is very essential in our unit or in any awesome.
0: diagnosis unit yeah it sounds like it and i i'm saying this as completely nine person like walking through attempting to walk through your world because I don't know what it's like to be a dialysis nurse in a, in a unit or, or a clinic. I only see this from an inpatient world that, I, you know, they, they come up, they do the thing and they leave. So it's really awesome to hear these things and to hopefully help students that might want a career in dialysis nursing.
1: It is, well, then the other thing is, is when I know in our area for nursing school, you might get dialysis or like renal nursing. It might be a day. Uh, okay, that's what it is. Have a good day. Right. And you know, it's part of your test, but you don't really divulge into what it actually is. Like there's so many people, we have a, one of our nursing schools is directly across from our unit. So they actually started bringing, having those students come over to our unit for like a day or two of clinicals. And uh, a lot of people don't know. So I mean, LPN school is still available. I don't know if it is still around where you are, but we still have LPN schools here. And LPN is probably one of the biggest assets to dialysis unit. Yeah,
0: we have like a majority of our outpatient clinics, where I am, utilize LPNs. Oh, that's amazing. LPNs, they're so helpful. But the thing is, even in
1: LPN school around here, they are like, "Oh, you're just going to go to a, a doctor's office and you know take." Take their vitals and bring the patients in or you have to go and push meds at a nursing home or something they don't they don't know enough to say hey why don't try dialysis but now so we're trying to go and educate the teachers that are there and do more things to the lpn schools that we have to try to get them in because they are so so important to a dialysis center
0: what is the specific role, if you could describe the LPN in a dialysis center? So not
1: only can you bring in the patient and assess them as a CCHT, but especially in New York, a CCHT then have to ask for the heparin, they have to ask for the catheters, Um, and LPN can do all that. So if you, as the one nurse for the 12 patients, are busy doing something else, they can then take over that role and do everything else. They can help with the foot checks because we have to do monthly foot checks on our patients too because, you know, dia- uh, diabetes and hypertension are the number one reasons why people need dialysis. So you you have to do foot checks on these people monthly, if not more, um, but they can help with that. They can write their own footnote, footnote note for foot checks and then we can just go and back sign them they can do the medications so if you are doing med reviews and you're calling up the different places to get your nursing home med reviews they can give out all the meds so it really alleviates a lot of things that the
0: nurse actually has to do when one isn't available that sounds really cool um, I don't know if people are listening that want to go into being an LPN before becoming a uh, RN, but do it up because it sounds like a great role. It is a great role and a much needed role too, that mm-hmm. can really help out a lot. I wish I, I do wish that we had more LPNs like within the hospital system that could add to the staffing ratios. I think that would be a huge kind of unique role for them. Our hospitals
1: aren't even hiring LPNs around here anymore.
0: I know. And I, and I don't know why, you know, the hospital units don't hire LPNs because they can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. We still need both, you know, PCAs, CNAs, LPNs, RNs, the whole, the whole gamut, because everyone has something unique to offer to patient care. Right. And if you do it well, you won't have things like falls. You won't have things like, waiting to go to the bathroom or waiting for pain measures or things like that, you can kind of work with the team together and kind of offer that opportunity to them, which, which I think will make better, like happier patients. In other words, that's Mm -hmm. um, what I was going to say. So you mentioned briefly about utilizing the gym and we met for people that don't know, we, we met as part of Savage Triathlon team and only met last year, which I thought was, you know, even years before that at the Philadelphia Women's Triathlon. And I say meet in real person. So Leanne and I belong to a virtual um, triathlon team that is comprised of real people, but we don't have many um, areas to actually meet in person because we're pretty much from all over the country. I mean, there's people from Florida, Tennessee, from you in New York, myself in central Pennsylvania, um, Leanne who kind of splits her time between New Jersey and Philadelphia, I think there's people from Arizona, I don't even know, all over the place. And we bonded pretty quickly over the fact that we're both nurses and we nerded out a lot on that. And I just want to know from your perspective, you know, because I, I do meet a lot of nurses that have a hard time with wellness. How important is it to you to have wellness within your own life?
1: Oh my God. If I didn't go to the gym, like I currently am not now (laughs) because I'm injured, but I would at least an hour and that's the only good thing is my shift is 5 a.m. to usually 1 30 2 o'clock I would my I didn't have to pick up my kids from school until five after they got done with sports so I had a three-hour break to myself that I could go run I could go do whatever pick up the groceries but yes making sure you get to the gym making sure you have you time to decompress your thoughts to even if you did have a bad day and you can't shake it put some pumping music and go for a run get on the bike go for a swim get it out of your head and just relax because you don't want to take anything you have home to your family
0: yeah no you don't and you certainly don't want to want to harbor on things that are internally inside of you either you know do you think being a part of, uh, of a team outside of nursing is an important thing yeah I think being a part of a
1: team is important in everything you do it brings communication and it brings your own passion for what you have like we both like triathlon that was a passion that we have and belonging to a team we get to meet other people and just having a team outside of your job is important because you can decompress nurses that may be on the team you could just have a good time laugh have a glass of wine chill out go swim whatever you want to do but you need something outside of your nursing life if you don't then you don't want to, you don't want to become
0: a nurse all day <laughs> I'm a nurse all day <laughs> that, would, that would be horrible although my brain thinks of things all damn day long that have to do with nursing I just I, I shut myself off. I kind of tell people sometimes if I'm going out, Somewhere my name is Wendy and I'm a Janitess. I'm not a nurse. <laughs> 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 Who am I, gonna be, today? <laughs> I I'm gonna be today? I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna be Wendy. I think I'm gonna be a Janitess. I'm a female janitor. Stop. <laughs> Something that you know people will not go to me. You now if things happen and I have to intervene, sure. But it but in the general aspect of things, I give you know finger to my to my nose and I'm like, nope, I'm not it, you know? Yep. Because there's things that I want to leave B and not come back to until I have to go back to that environment again. Thankfully, I think we both work in pretty good environments. Um, I know I do. Um, do. Absolutely. That's awesome. And I think that's also important too. If you are finding yourself not working in a good environment, change your environment. Mm -hmm. And it it might not be as easy to recognize that you're in a bad environment at first. And certainly there are times when I you know, try to tell people to really um, grow where they're planted in that, in that realm. Uh, because sometimes, you know, you have to give something a fair shot, in my opinion. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. Just because you're having one bad day doesn't mean every day is going to be
0: like that. Right. I think having good, good leadership, good support, yep. and and them knowing, you know, what your stressors are, and also the the value. I talk a lot about value-added things in this podcast, but the value that you can add to it, department, if somebody doesn't see that within you, it's time for a change, you know, it's time for something to happen, and if you don't get value added from your work environment either, you know, that's probably a good indication of, of when to change, and you're so right, I I, I talk a lot about if, if you are super passionate about nursing, so I'm involved in a lot of different um, associations that have to do with nursing, so for me, it's like, I get to stay involved, but I don't have to like necessarily like, worry about it so much, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But it helps me network more. I think that's important, too, as nurses. And I also think that hearing other stories of what goes on in other units and other areas of life, we all have similar issues that I think that helps tremendously as well when you're thinking of, of like how to leave work at work, but maybe engage with other people that have similar interests, too. Right. So, Yeah anything else that you would like to discuss today I don't think so all right well thank you so much for being a part of the podcast I had fun I hope you had fun too I did too it was good that's good it was okay because <laughs> Elena's like I don't know what I'm doing but it's been fun it's gonna be great the conversation and we're gonna have a good time <laughs> that's all that matters all right. Well, thank you so much for being a, a part of it thank you